0: All right, I'd like to invite you to turn to the last chapter of Romans this morning, Romans chapter 16, and we are going to be reading verses 24 to 27. Words will also be on the screens, but it's sometimes more fun to read it in the Bible. Oh, no wonder, I'm in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians also has 16 chapters, by the way. All of a sudden, I was kind of like, whoa, I did not write the sermon on the right text. <laughs> anyway, but, so just out of curiosity, how many of you are um, following along in your pew Bibles? Okay. Um, Jim, I saw you raise your hand. Would you read for us verse 24, please? Okay, that's actually the second half of 23. All right. Um, Actually, that was a trick question. That's why I kind of wanted you to look in your Bibles. I was interested to see this too. Actually, you can't find verse 24 in the actual text. You have to look down to the footnote at the bottom of your Bible. The reason why it's there is that because some of the ancient manuscripts of Romans that archaeologists have found include verse 24 and others do not, and the conscientious compilers of the New International Version 1984 uh, thought that this should be included in the footnotes. But once I read it, I think that you will realize that it is very, very biblical, and it's not going to shake our faith in any way. Actually, thank you for being a good sport, Jim. Verse 24 reads like this. This is Paul speaking at the end of his letter to the Romans. He says, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you. Amen. And then into verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ. According to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now the book of Romans, for those of you who are familiar and for those of you who are not actually begins with a powerful, powerful reminder of the good news. This is what Paul is writing about. The good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then throughout the letter, Paul brings to the reader's attention this connecting thread through all the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament and then through the actual ancestry or lineage of, the, of King David all the way to the birth of Jesus Christ. And indeed, this good news was manifested in the flesh with the birth of the Christ child. He was declared publicly to be the Son of God. He was endowed with power from on high. He died for our sins, and he rose from the dead. Then Jesus, the Son of God and the Son of Man, sent the Holy Spirit to indwell Jews and Gentiles alike so that we might live in the grace and power of the Spirit. And so Paul connects... 2,000 years of prophetic history talks about its fulfillment in Christ, and, and he talks especially about the blessings that God's people receive as a result of this amazing act of God, this intervening in history. According to Paul, the good news in Jesus Christ is revealed in light of the human condition. Or perhaps in response to our human condition, which is sin and separation from God. For without sin and separation from God and the misery that it brings to us, why would we have been looking for a savior? Why would we have been looking for a Messiah? Why would we have been looking for Jesus? And so it is smack dab in the human condition of sin and separation from God that God sends his son. And Paul, after thoroughly discussing the the depth of our sin and, and the power of Jesus Christ to save us, Paul concludes his letter with a call to worship the one whose word never fails. I talked about it just a couple minutes ago with Chris and Nikki. God's promises never fail because God is faithful. And through Christ, God has plans that will prosper and benefit us. And Paul reminds us in Romans 16 that that our job in this whole scheme of things that, that God is running with his redemptive plan, our job is to glorify God on our earthly journey. Yeah, God sent Jesus into this world so that we could uh, recapture or uh, enjoy for the very first time abundant life, the abundant life that, that sin and rebellion from God stole from humanity. And the appropriate response, even in spite of our continuing struggles and doubts and human limitations, is to joyfully worship our faithful God in truth. So at this conclusion to Paul's letter to the Romans, he leaves us with this climactic word of praise and glory to God. And in fact, worship and praise and blessing are to be circular events in the life of a Christian. It's just not a one-and-done deal. It's not just occasionally that we do this. It's very regularly because, frankly, the blessings of God do not cease. His mercies are new every day. He is constantly pouring out good things into our lives, whether we realize it or not. And Paul is encouraging us, hey, realize this, and praise and worship God for these things. Now, our text this morning, as we read it in its entirety actually contains both a benediction and a doxology. And I want to explain the difference between the two because a lot of people don't know or uh, others get them a little bit confused. The benediction is found in verse 24, which was the footnote. It is, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you. Amen. That is a benediction. Paul typically includes a benediction at the end or near the end of all of his letters. The doxology is a little bit longer. The doxology is found in 25 to 27. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel in the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ, amen. Now, I'm not going to ask you to answer this. It's just kind of a rhetorical question. Did you notice the main difference between those two statements? I know that the content is, is all different, but there's a, there's a main difference that I want to point out here. And it's this. A benediction is from God to you. A doxology is from you or from us to God, okay? A benediction is directed toward God's people from God, and a doxology is directed toward God from his people. A benediction is where God blesses his people, and a doxology is kind of where people bless God or acknowledge God. A benediction is God's blessing on us, The doxology is our praise to God. Now the benediction that Paul used here in Romans in verse 24, if you want to uh, include it into the text, is is pretty standard, and that's why I said to you, you know, there is nothing unbiblical about that. There's there's no reason why that is out of place in Scripture. He, uh, Paul, meaning Paul, uh, he s- uses um, almost identical benedictions in other letters that he wrote, and so that's not an issue, and so that's pretty straightforward, but. The doxology, much more wordy, has actually quite a bit more to unpack, and and that's what I want to focus on this morning. And so I want to just break that doxology down into its numerous statements, and there's there's two statements that I want to spend time on, and then the other two statements in the doxology actually uh, kind of weave through the other two, but uh, just so that you can list the four. Um, This doxology is a praise to the mighty God. This doxology is a praise to the wise God. Those are the two that we're going to spend some time on. And it is praise to him through Jesus Christ. That's going to weave through all of it. And it is praise for his glory or for the purpose of his glory, which also is going to weave through. And so in the first part of the doxology, we see the words, now to him who is able. And what those words do is they show the sovereign power of God. They acknowledge, they proclaim the might of God. They draw attention to the one who is able to do all things. Uh, Another way to say that would be, nothing is too hard for God to accomplish, But then we should ask, what precisely is he able to do? I mean, what is it that Paul is talking about specifically here? Yes, God can do anything, but what specifically here is God or is Paul acknowledging God for being able to do? Well, he actually tells us immediately, God is able to establish you. God is able to establish you. God is able to establish me. And that is actually vitally important in light of what Paul has been talking about throughout this entire letter of Romans. He's been instructing believers about how to be established in the faith. He's been talking to us about um, being uh, enduring and persevering in the faith. And what Paul says here is a restatement of of a lot that he's unpacked earlier in the letter. But what he's saying is that, you know what? It's God. It is God that is able to make us endure. It is God who is able to establish us firmly and forever. So the knowledge of God's might and his power and his greatness and all his glory grounds us in this assurance, right? Right? that God is the one who is responsible. He's not only able, but he's the one who is responsible for establishing us in the faith. This grounds us in great assurance. It gives us great comfort. We are comforted that we will be established not because we have the ability or the responsibility to establish ourselves, but because God has the ability and he also has the power and the will to establish us. And so Paul begins by praising God for his power to do just that. And I think it's quite interesting and quite appropriate that here at the end of the book, in this final doxology, Paul refers to these themes that he has unpacked throughout the the preceding 16 chapters of the book. For example, in Romans chapter 1, Paul says that the gospel, he describes the gospel as the power of God unto salvation. And here in our passage, what does Paul praise God for in the closing of this letter? For the power of God to establish us, specifically to establish us in the gospel, to establish us in the gift of salvation that we receive through Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus Christ weaves his way through all of this. He's absolutely central to what Paul is talking about. God has established us as saved men and women who find ourselves now in Christ, in his body, because it is through Christ and only through Christ that we can be saved. The power of God used for our benefit. Next, Paul praises God for his wisdom, which is another great theme in the book of Romans. Romans. There's actually an earlier doxology at the end of Romans chapter 11, and in it, Paul praises God for the wisdom of his redemptive plan. His redemptive plan to bring both Jew and Gentile into one kingdom. And here again, in our passage, Paul praises God for his great wisdom. And so again, in this example, we see Paul summing up um, things that he has talked about throughout the book. Praise to the only wise God. So Paul is acknowledging and he's glorying in and he's delighting in the wisdom of God's plan. And that plan is actually presented very clearly in verses 25 to 27. So I'm gonna read them one more time, read them a little bit slower this time. It says, now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. So we are established through the proclamation or the preaching of the gospel. According to the revelation of the mystery that had been kept secret for long ages past, but is now manifested in Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul says that the gospel that he and we have proclaimed is about a redemptive event that God has been working on from eternity past that has been fully revealed now in Jesus Christ. Again, Jesus is absolutely central to this salvation redemptive plan. And yes, Paul uh, talks about how the Torah and the prophets and the Psalms all pointed to it but that it had not been fully revealed and could not be fully understood except in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the key to all of it. The people of God can look at Jesus and say, oh, now I understand what that passage in Isaiah 53 means. Oh, now I understand what that passage in Jeremiah 31 means. Oh, now I understand what Psalm 118 and 110 and and 2 are all about. Now I see what God has done in and through Jesus Christ. Now I understand what the prophets were talking about. And Paul says, in this, in this, we see the wisdom of God revealed. And this plan, I was thinking about it this week. So I I'm, I'm, I'm in the Old Testament, okay, in my devotions. And so as I'm working on this sermon, I'm also kind of doing my devotions through the Old Testament, and I was thinking to myself, we never would have guessed this plan. Nobody, no human being would have ever guessed this plan. If you had asked somebody to sit down in the days of Abraham and said, you know what, uh, just... <laughs> Use your imagination here, but what do you think, what do you think God's plan is going to be? Like looking forward hundreds and hundreds of years, like we know what it's like right now, but what do you think God's plan is going to be like? I guarantee you nobody was going to say, well, here's, here's how it's going to happen. God is going to send his only begotten son into the world. He is going to be incarnated, so he's actually going to be in human flesh like us. He's going to then die in our place. He's going to assume all of the guilt and sin that we've accumulated in our entire lives. He's going to bear that sin and guilt on our behalf. He's going to die. He's going to be buried underground, and he is going to be raised again from the dead. He's going to then ascend on high, and he is going to somehow, someday, take us with him. No one, I guarantee you, could have given you that kind of disclosure about the gospel. The apostle Peter, now we're talking about Peter, tells us that the prophets, even as they wrote in their scrolls, that the prophets themselves strained to see the truth that they were writing. It was simply that far beyond their full comprehension. John Calvin writes this If angels themselves regard the treasures of heavenly wisdom with wonder, then no human being can admire them enough. Brothers and sisters, you cannot be impressed enough with the wisdom of God. And unless you are impressed with the wisdom of God, you will not be able to be confident in those experiences of life where you scratch your head and wonder what in the world is going on here. Because if you cannot believe in the wisdom of God, as it is been displayed, has been displayed already, will be displayed in the plan of God, you will not be able to believe in the wisdom of God as it is applied to your own life, through your own trials, through your own struggles. So this very praise to God for His power and for His wisdom ends up establishing us. Establishing us not only in salvation, but also establishing us in confidence and assurance. Because when we realize that it is this great, powerful, wise God who is at work in the plan of salvation and who is also at work in our daily lives, then we find that we don't necessarily have to have the answers to every little question that we have in life. We just need to know that the wise and powerful God governs all of our circumstances, working them for our good and for his good pleasure. Therefore, I hope you see how this doxology results in strengthening and comforting the people of God, strengthening and comforting us. Paul then says that this praise is given to God through Jesus Christ, and we've seen that in numerous ways throughout the rest of the doxology. Through the mediation of Christ, all of these gifts, all of these blessings are ours. And then he says that the glory is God's glory. It's not our glory. It's not some other entity's glory. To him, to God, be the glory forever. So then... During this season of Advent, what is our takeaway from these last couple of verses in the book of Romans? What is to be our response as believers to the power of God and the wisdom of God applied to our benefit through Jesus Christ? Well, I think that if we look at the doxology once again, um, Paul provides five action items for us to consider as we close. I'm going to cheat a little bit. Um, and I'm glad, that, uh, I'm glad that Jim read the verse that he did when I was trying to trick him because my first one, my first action point actually comes from um, those greetings that, um, that Jim read, those greetings that immediately precede our passage. We see in those greetings, we see in those greetings that the first right response to God is love for one another, love for brothers and sisters in the faith. It is to love one another, it is to have and pursue and establish and sustain real Christian community. We can't do this life of faith alone. I am reminded of that every single day. And it's not just because as a pastor, I'm coming in to try, and, uh, to try and bolster other people up. I need it just as much as you do. So first action item, love one another, be there for one another. The second right response to God is prayer. When we understand the teaching of God's word, we ought to thank God in prayer, which... Creates a bridge to the third right response, which is praise. See, we don't just offer God prayers of of supplication and intercession. We offer prayers of thanksgiving for who he is and what he has done and what he has already given us. We adore him and delight in him for his person and his works. The fourth right response is confidence. It is only God who is able to establish you. If your confidence is based on your own ability to establish yourself, here's some bad news. You are never going to be confident and you shouldn't be because you are completely unable to establish yourself in any salvific way. But brothers and sisters, if your confidence is based on faith, faith in the power of him who is able to keep you from falling, then you can have unshakable confidence in this life. And then, of course, the fifth and final response is consecration. Consecration could be understood as living for the glory of God, living for the glory of God. Consecration is being distinct in this world on account of our obedience to God's will. Mary and Joseph demonstrated faithful obedience. They trusted God even though they didn't understand fully their divine connection to God's unfolding plan. They blindly trusted God to direct their path. And brothers and sisters, our faith and our trust and our praise should be grounded in the same. That's the kind of faith that we aspire to. We gain strength even and perhaps especially in our trials and tribulations when we obey Jesus and faithfully serve him with the goal of glorifying God. And so (coughs) Paul concludes the great theological treatise that is the book of Romans with those five action items, love for brothers and sisters in Christ, prayer, Praise the confidence that believers have in God and consecration to work for his glory. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. Amen. Let's pray.